Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast sponsored by the Institute for Conscious Being entitled The Real Enneagram. A spiritual quest. Oh, you do that so well every week. <laughs> that's my favorite part of the title. We know it is. That's, that's the part he wants to speak to. So that's why we, we do this each week. This week, we have Dr. Joseph Howell who is joining us, and we also have Barbara Sloan. And Barbara Sloan is currently a faculty member on the Institute for Conscious Being. Her background is that she's been involved in theater for most of her life and has taught theater. She's also the author of a book uh, entitled Barefoot Among the Thorns. She's currently authoring a new book, that we are all excited about uh, that's going to be coming out. It's going to be a devotional book, and it's going to have a pretty unique twist to that. But I can't tell you because it's a secret. And uh, Dr. Hal, you're also authoring a new book. And what is the name of that new book? Do you have any idea yet? Are you going to give us a sneak peek on what the title of that book might be? Yes, the uh, publisher has already put a name to it, and it's uh, Know Your Soul, Journeying with the Enneagram to Inner and Outer Peace. Ooh, I like that. His first book is entitled Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. And that's an excellent book. I've read it three times, and each time I read it, I get something else out of it. So today we're going to continue our discussion about the soul child. And we talk about the soul child because uh, it's important to the Enneagram in the teachings of the Enneagram, because we want to move beyond typology, and the way that we do that is to begin to return to our essence, which is our soul child, our inner child of the past. And so, what do you want to talk about today? Well, because we are lucky to have Barbara with us, um, I would love to get her uh, notions of her concept of the soul child and also her own experience with that because you know getting the contact with the soul child is a direct gateway to the qualities of our soul so uh, Barbara has very good ways of expressing herself and I would love to hear how she got in touch with her soul child first and a little bit about that child. Okay, Barbara, so here's here's a question, um, a concrete question. When did you first discover that you had a soul child and when was the and, and same question, when did you begin to realize that you could reconnect? I think I did. I didn't have the same word for it, soul child. But when I was twenty-five or twenty-six years old, my mother and my aunt and I went back to my grand, great-grandmother's house. I had lived next door to her for um, my first five years of since I went birth till five years old, 
And we went back, and my aunt and my mother were talking about how great it was, and don't you remember this, and isn't that fabulous, and don't you remember how Nanny would walk down the stairs and her room was up here, and um, it just didn't connect with me at all. I did not have any memory much about it until finally it occurred to me to get down on my knees, and I started walking around the house on my knees, which is put me at the level I was when when I was about four or five years old, and everything came back to life, just all rushing back to me. I remembered polishing the stairs and the smell of the polish that they would let me use. That was a big deal. I got to polish the stairs. (laughs) Now I see that it was a little ruse to get the stairs polished, but um, I just remembered everything. My great-grandmother had had an upstairs room, and I would go up there every day to learn my lessons. I learned my ABCs, my numbers, my colors. We would look out the back window, and there was a china berry tree, and we would laugh because the birds would get um, drunk on the fermented berries and fall out of the tree. And So I just remembered all of that once I got down on my knees, and it was just a fantastic sort of experience and then um, I remember the first time I went to a conference with the Howells and it was at Camp McDowell and we did the backyard exercise and that's when I really started thinking about what is a soul child and it is that essence of ourselves that we can get back to it's really that that knowledge inside of us that that if we can get back in touch with us, tells us who we really are. I love that story, um, becoming the the little child again, and that's part of reconnecting with the qualities of your soul, is to actually re-inhabit that little body again. Not so much that you walk on your knees, but in re-inhabiting the body, you re-inhabit the perception that you and that you had when you were that age and the world begins to sparkle again the colors are different the fascination of looking at things that aren't necessarily uh video games but natural fascinations that are inherent in the world such as leaves blowing on a tree or clouds that form Mm, castles and 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 clowns and other things. Um, it brings back and stirs the imagination again. Um, the ego doesn't work so much on imagination. The ego works on proscribed thought and templates and strategies. And it takes the color out of life and makes things look stark and utilitarian and they are um, sort of squashed by our perception, whereas the child allows things to plump up and pop out in front of him or her because they're not afraid of these things, and they're not thinking about how they can be used or feared or um, manipulated. They just simply are, and they are to be enjoyed. And that's why I loved that that in Barbara's example, even the smell of wax for the stairs brings back the wonderful feelings 
of participating with people, doing something, having a job, having a role, and being allowed to help. All of that is the the aroma of wax being paired with having an, a holy origin. And and what I heard from that story, and you can you know expound on it, but I don't know when you got on your knees and and all the the things started flooding back in. Um, I don't know. I was feeling a sense of safety, a sense of belonging to a family, um, a sense of uh, being productive and helpful and held. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I lived next door to that house, um, as I said, between birth and five years old. And my great-grandmother lived there, my grandmother, both of their husbands had died, my mother's three sisters. So it was a house of female mojo, for sure. And I was the first grandchild, and I could do nothing wrong. And I was held. And, you know, I, I, I think I lived into that role. Um, as an ego type four, I was born in the essence of a one. And I th- my mother used to say, Barb is more a mother to me than I am to her because she just knows so much. And I was just born with some sort of, you know, feeling like I, I knew a lot and that that my way was the right way. And um, that was great living next to them because they thought that too. But then um, my dad was gone for about nine months when I was very young. And when he came back, I guess I was about 18 months old, two years old. And he let me know in no, no uncertain terms that my way was not the right way. His way was the right way, which I had not heard for, you know, nine months or so. So it was a surprise to me. And I guess that was my first wounding. And I started sort of taking another um, step in life away from that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you were speaking about, um, a minute ago, about the ego and the essence, for me, at the being uh, an ego type 8, the ego type 8, we really easily remove the color and from from life we're action oriented there's a really long to-do list other people's feelings and all the soft things are not important because there's things to do and when you're in the height of that ego fixation i mean a lot of times it works i mean you can get a lot done people look to you to make decisions and that sort of thing but when that quits working because you've turned a lot of people off with your directness and your lack of caring about other people's feelings. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I cared about other people's feelings, but, but for an ego type eight, we're very concerned with getting the job done, protecting others. And we don't often think about our own feelings or consider how our actions affect the feelings of others. For me, when, when I first learned about, uh, essence and I followed uh, my arrow I went against my arrow and I realized that it went to the two I was shocked because you know the ego type twos they're all very touchy-feely nice helper kind of people and I was thinking that's not you know that's not me but the truth is like you said when you go back to your essence it really does bring the color back Mm -hmm. 
to life because when I'm able to be vulnerable and to share my feelings and to experience the feelings of others with them, all of which has nothing to do with getting anything done. It's not on a to-do list. I'm not reaching goals, you know, and, um, but, but that is, that's when, when that ego type eight begins to come alive is at the, the healthy point of the two. And that's called the soul point. Yeah. So if you go against your arrow, if you swim upstream, and it's hard to get there. That's why they say swim upstream, because you're going against a current. But if you swim upstream against your arrow from your ego type eight, you're going to go, you're going to reach the healthy conscious two. And that's how you were born. That's how you came to planet Earth. So that's what puts the color back in for you. And I would like to ask Barbara this. That dad gave you some wounds. What other ways were you told that you were not okay the way you were? Well, I remember another story. Um, My family... member of my family lived out on a farm and a whole group of family members went out to visit one day and my cousin and I were playing in a field and we were called in and we rounded a corner they were all sitting on the front porch on stairs and on chairs out there on the front porch and when we came around the corner they just all burst into laughter I guess we were dirty and disheveled from playing out there and I mean it just it shamed me and embarrassed me so much and I felt like I'm never going to be treated like this again I'm I'm not even going to try to follow anything that they want me to do I'm going to be outside of their what expectations they have and I'm going to just be my own self follow my own drummer I'm going to be my own drummer and follow my own tune and um, a lot of things like that happened through the years that, you know, in school and different places that just made me know that I was different or I felt like I was different. And I, I'll tell you, I, I feel different when y'all are talking about the col- color coming back when you when you integrate to your essence. I feel the opposite. Um, as a four, things are colorful for me all the time. And when I was... When I, when I was a flaming four, as I call it, in college and, and my young adulthood, there was a lot of drama, and that's very colorful. But when I integrate toward my one, some of that color fades. It's still colorful, but it's orderly now, and it's not flaming and crazy. And so the color... It's not tie-dyed. <laughs> right. Okay. Or chaotic. Yes. Yeah. Or chaotic. So it's colorful both ways for me, but it's it's I think it's different for the heart center maybe than for the other centers. How do you how do you feel when you know that you're kind of living out of your essence? Oh, I feel very balanced, um, more principled. Um, things come in into greater focus. I can concentrate better. Um, I pick up um, a lot of my, um, since I'm going to the body center, I pick up some, um, you know, I can, I can live in my body. I can be, be in my body when I'm integrating toward that one. Okay. 
I remember a wound I had when I was a small child. And uh, it was that uh, the people who lived next door uh, in the next apartment, uh, when I was, I guess, three years old, um, there was a little playmate I had in that apartment. And I remember uh, leaving my apartment and walking into their kitchen without knocking or without announcing, because who cares, you know, I'm just going to find Linda. And uh, it was Linda's dad who came down from the the bedrooms upstairs, and he said, what are you doing in our house? And I was shamed and felt that there was something wrong with me, that I had done something terrible because of the way he questioned me, and he had a big frown on his face, and he smacked me on my backside opened his back door, and put me on the stoop. Wow. So the next day, I remember, he was washing his car along the side of the apartments, and there he was with the hose and washing it off, and I I thought once or twice about whether I should walk by him or not because I was still ashamed. I was more ashamed of his thinking that there was something wrong with me and that I had done something very bad. Uh, Anybody else I wouldn't have been shamed with because they wouldn't have had the reaction he gave to me. And so I decided to walk past him anyway, and he spoke to me, and I was relieved. But I still had an awful sense of that deviance, that flaw, that terrible thing that must be part of me that I've got to watch for when I'm with other people. And that's what those are the kinds of things that let soul children know that they are not okay the way they are. And that's why they eventually sell out to the ego. The ego protects. Two years later, I'd walk past him and say, Hey, can I help you wash your car? You're going to like me anyway. Good. And so you bring up the ego. Is the ego all bad? Well, the ego is essential, and we have to have it, and we have to strike a deal between our ego and our essence. And the way we get to our essence many times is through our soul child or our inner child of the past. On the Enneagram, it's called the heart point or the soul point or the point of integration. Um, It's not all bad. It's essential. It's, um, in a way, dying to one's arrogance and opening up to one's true self-worth and partnering with one's soul to create quite a different creature. Does everyone do that? Does everyone eventually find their soul child? I don't think so, no. Unfortunately, it would be great if we all did. Um, I think it's Gary Zukoff that says your authentic power comes when your personality or your ego and your soul align. 
And that's when um, not only are you the most powerful, but God can come through you and work through you, or the divine, or the universe, or whatever you want to call that force. But um, I think it's unfortunate that some people just stay in their ego, and they get more and more bitter about life. And it's unfortunate, because if they could just open up and be vulnerable and and learn Mm -hmm. their... um, their ego self and their soul could could work in in tandem and mm-hmm. they're a new creation then so what who are the people that do finally turn turn and and seek out relief and and seek out this uh essence i think they're seekers i think they're the people who really know that there's more to life than personality more to life than living in a stagnant role. Uh, There's more vibrancy to be had inside all of us, which really stems from when we lived in vibrancy, when we were a child. Yeah, and and the way, I mean, again, you know, in typology, when we're talking about, you know, the ego types that we are, it's, it's really, it's not the same being the very best eight I can be. That's just not the same. I, I can remember the moment that I was sitting in training uh, with one of the training sessions for the Institute for Conscious Being, and I remember the realization I had that my true essence was found at the two. And it was such an aha moment for me. I mean, it was such a big moment for me to realize that there's so much more than being that dominant eight. You're really not an eight. Right. So these people who go around speaking about... So-and-so's a two, so-and-so's a four, so-and-so. It, that's a tip-off that either they're oversimplifying and they do know the real underlying beauty of the Enneagram, or they don't know the underlying purposes and beauty of the spiritual tool. Because we're really not our egos. We are our soul child plus our ego. And that, there's no number for that. That is a very unique amalgam. And Barbara's a living example of that amalgam. I'd like to hear more about how your ego and your soul live together. Well, uh, let me tell just a little quick story about, I had to, um, in a spiritual exercise, think back to when I first um, had a, a... encounter with the divine and our family used to go down to seagrove beach when it was a tiny little nothing town um down on the florida coast and the first time we went down there my whole family went down and my dad drove i think there were about about 10 or 12 people in this late 1940s forward and i remember we were making sure the cake didn't tip over in the trunk that was the big deal but Anyway, the um, my first encounter with the with the just the magnificence of of the universe, I guess, was when my dad took me down. We had gotten there late, and so the sun was sparkling on the the waves of the Gulf, and it was just like, but it was like coming home. I felt a homecoming there somehow. And I just felt the attachment to 
to where I was supposed to be and who I was supposed to be. And, and I mean, I was 18 months old, and I, I, I remember feeling that. And so that's why when I go to the beach, I just love to walk up and down the beach because I still have that connection to that first time when I, I felt at one with really the universe. And I guess that's the way I feel when I can when when I can have my soul and my my personality or my ego in tandem. And it happens a lot. Thank goodness, um, if you're an artist of any kind, if you do theater, or art, or writing, or painting, or anything, you can go into that eternal time where you don't even realize anything is going past you could it could be five hours it could be five minutes and you're you're just lost in a in a place that is just divine and um i'm i'm thankful that i i do keep up with art so that i can get to that place quite often and i think that helps me um in my day-to-day life just like any spiritual practice that we talk about with icb if you if you keep up your spiritual practice, you can keep your soul um, aligned with your ego. Right. And so that spiritual practice is actually that time where you can allow the soul to emerge. Right. And and be in alignment with the ego. And when the ego completely dominates, um, it's not the same feeling as when you have the ego in alignment with the soul. And And how does that feel different for you? It feels like you're moving at a different pace. It feels like you are being led by your true self rather than things that that you feel like you have to do in the world. Um, you So you have a feeling of purpose. You have a feeling of purpose, but it's not like ticking things off of a to-do list. It's more... Um, living from in the moment and being in the present, being in the now, and um, letting the Holy Spirit guide you. I enjoyed listening to that story because when people speak about their soul child, there is a depth and a resonance that comes from their being. That if they were talking to you about what they had for breakfast or even if they were talking to you about someone they love, it wouldn't have the same quality as when they're talking about the soul child. In fact, I, the listeners can't notice this, but I noticed when Barbara was speaking about having been taken to the beach and uh, reconnecting with the the water and the sun, her mouth changed shape. There was a bit of a trembling in her lips as if she was really experiencing that awe again. She left us for a moment. <laughs> yes, I saw that. And it, it, is, it is a glimpse into someone's soul. And when they are speaking of their soul child, they too are inhabiting that soul. And there was something very special going on between the three of us here and uh, this studio that uh, we were connected because when Barbara spoke of it, 
we too were entering that sunset with her and watching it. Well, I, I know I was. Yeah, it's archetypal. I, it is. And and I've been for walks with Barbara on the beach. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Barbara when she's, you know, in her four, in her ego type four. And then I've also spent a lot of time with her when she's just in essence. And it's it's a special place, you know. To f- you can feel the energy. Yeah. You know, it it's it's so beautiful to know that human beings have this component. And I know many would never venture there. Many people would never want to understand their soul child or re-inhabit it. But wouldn't it be amazing if, for example, um, a city government was uh, the members of the council of that government had a time where they were taken to their soul child? and together re-inhabited it, uh, and uh, that that council then went on into their council meeting. How would they feel about each other after having shared such an experience? Uh, How would they vote? How would they treat city uh, uh, members of of the uh, community who come before them to speak? Um, how would they um, react to various community projects? Would they be against it simply because it was financially unfeasible? Or would they look beyond that to see what could be done? Because they're coming from soul as well as ego, not just ego or strategy or how the mind sees something. Well, you've said before that it's not our souls that battle each other. It's our egos. Yes. And when we're really living out of our essence and out of our souls, we drop off a lot of those needs to battle for our own agenda. Because we feel the connection, just like we three just felt the connection. That's good. Well, thank you, Barbara, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed hearing the stories, and I don't know, it just helps me understand a little bit more about the soul child and really why we're trying to learn about it and why we want to find ways to to get back to our essence. So thank you, listeners, for, for joining us, and we'd like to ask you to return next week to hear us again on this podcast where we'll continue to explore uh, the Enneagram and the spirituality of the Enneagram. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.